the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned. Because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of uh, political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Tom. And joining us, uh, and, and he's uh, been a frequent visitor uh, over the last few months, former government uh, official under two Republican presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Hey. Morning, Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mark. Hey, guys. Well, as you all know, I always start out with a few quotes, and the first one is uh, fashioned after uh, uh, Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. We open Armchair Politics with Finish the Quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes, democracy is being allowed to vote for what? The uh, worst of <laughs> worst of two evils or something like that. The truth. 
Well, that would be nice, Mark, but I think uh, <laughs> I, I think Paul is yeah. closer to the original quote, which sure. is, democracy is being allowed to vote for the candidate you dislike least. <laughs> yeah. oh. And that came from uh, an American author who passed away in 2016, Robert Byrne. Oh. oh. But the uh, quote of the week was uh, had to be... <laughs> There was no insurrection, and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold baseline. Oh, that was a Republican uh, senator, but I, congressman, his name escapes. Yep. Yeah, Georgia Republican yeah. Congressman yeah. Andrew Clyde, who falsely yeah. compared the riot to a tourist visit. <laughs> yeah, I ducked <laughs> into the bed after I heard that. Pretty active tourists. <laughs> is, is that like calling spring break in Florida a day at the beach? <laughs> right, right, probably, yeah. Gee. Oh, I thought you were going to go with another one. I had another one, uh, Tom, that I thought you were going to use. Which which was, uh, which, which one, Mark? I'm a Car Guy by Senator Amtrak pandering to the voters of Michigan. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. That is a good guy. Everybody knows he's a train guy. Everybody knows that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's here's another quote that we can uh, get into a little bit. If um, let's see, uh, if you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things that you had stopped doing because of the pandemic. We have all longed for this moment when we can get back to some sense of normalcy. Cuomo. You would think, you would think. No, it was uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, uh, and she said this during a White House COVID-19 briefing. Um, How much confusion can we expect as we transition to a post-pandemic life? It seems like a lot of confusion. I mean, confusion over when to wear masks has really gotten, even this past week has been very bizarre going out and, some people are wearing them, some people aren't, or some stores require them, some don't. It's all over the ballpark. And and with the way that we look at uh, the freedom of thought and speech, there's no way that we're going to come to any consensus based on that. We, there has to be something else of value that brings us together because our individual uh, positions that we have on these issues are very, very divergent. I I think that's right. We've talked about this before, but I just think the CDC has done a terrible job on messaging. My favorite, we've said before, is okay. It's safe to travel, but don't travel unless you on an airplane unless you have to. And, and yeah, yeah. they just they take the science, and I have high regard for the government science, but the politicians, uh, meaning the people who are in the management positions, I just think they've mismanaged this and. Uh, it's it's going to be handled at the local level. I uh, heard yesterday that Governor New Jersey, which has I think the highest, still has the highest mortality rate uh, per million uh, citizens uh-huh. of any state in the nation, he said we're not going to uh, let the mask mandate go for now. And uh, governments at all levels, and even some private businesses, are going to do what they think is right here, and people are going to do what they think is right. So it's not going to be a uniform sort of a soft curve here. But yeah, I, feel on the so, I, feel sorry for, I feel sorry for some of these businesses where, you know, individual employees have got to decide you know, who's vaccinated, who's not, who should be wearing a mask, who's not. And it's really going to be a very messy process. But based on the science uh, for uh, New Jersey, 
Uh, that position makes sense. You know why? They have the highest population, at least they used to have the highest population density in the United States. Right. But, and if people are living closer together, look at the impact that they have on each other. So that makes a good, even I would have thought of that, I think, if I had to make that decision. Yeah, no, I'm not quibbling with his decision. I'm simply, uh, although uh, you guys... Sure, I understand. I've said all along that I think that that we've uh, overdone the balance towards health instead of uh, keeping the economy going and kids in school. But, but uh, I think the CDC lost control of this dialogue a long time ago. Have they just given up on the idea that that we're going to reach seventy uh, percent of the population vaccinated and and thus uh, uh, at least some semblance of herd immunity by by July? According to the president, that's the hope. Yeah, with, with yeah the, that's the, the numbers hope. Numbers are dropping. People are not showing up for appointments, and numbers are dropping yeah. off dramatically all right. around the country. Everybody I, is using their own ideas as to how they're going to react to that. So, no, there's no way that we're yeah. headed for a consensus. I think that's true. Um, and there's a reticence even in healthcare. I'm having lunch with somebody today who's. Uh, healthcare worker, a nurse, and uh, and she has said she's going to wait and see a little bit longer to see how she feels about this thing. And that's that's a fairly consistent reaction amongst a, a big chunk of people. I've, I've been uh, saying for a couple of weeks now that I'm holding the president to his uh, 4th of July prediction that we would be able to uh, at least get together with a few family and friends and cook out. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming out of the house on July 4th, and if I, uh, whether I see my shadow or not, I'm cooking out. <laughs> well, Tom, you can come down to Mississippi this weekend. We're open for business. Are you really? And, and yeah, come on down. And have have you seen any? Now, some places have had bad luck with that. Michigan had bad luck with that. We had a lot of people who didn't want to follow the guidelines, and we started spiking again for for a short time. We had the worst numbers in the nation. Well, we have very high numbers, but it's because we're the the most unhealthy state in the nation. The underlying conditions are terrible, and if you neutralize the um, those factors there, there's a standard you, to set mark <laughs> yeah no but i mean that's true it's, it's it's a problem the under it's about underlying health and people we said this from the beginning if you have an underlying condition you need to be careful that's absolutely the case yeah and and i agree with that you know one but thing the, i'm concerned about is that with all these the, these varying messages on masks and then basically everybody's going to kind of back away from the mask issue are we going to have another spike in a month or two or three months down the road or in the I'm, fall when temperatures drop exactly but, exactly remember last summer it looked like it was almost all over and people were kind of going back to quote normal and then all of a sudden along comes the fall and there we go with a with a spike again but there's a, a the problem that they have with all of this speculation is we haven't looked at things long enough to make any determinations. We're just zigzagging through this whole process, and we haven't taken the time to methodically think through. Let some bad things happen as well as other things happen, and then we'll be able to decide a pathway forward. But right now, the first time that somebody says something, there's a person out with a debate against it. So You, you know... I was going to say, what really worries me is that internationally, 
where this is surging all over the place in India and other places, is that we're going to get a variant that is that is immune to the current vaccine. Yeah, and, that's and, and the a problem. year or two from now, we're going to be facing a whole new ball part, ball game with this kind of stuff. That's the fear. Yeah, and that's pretty scientific. The one thing you know, that I, that I that makes me. Um, maybe a little bit hopeful is the fact that we have vaccines now that a vaccine for that kind of a variant paul could come forth fairly quickly yeah i would i would hope that's true yeah, that's that's a good point yeah but i'm i'm holding the president to the the july 4th date and in in that spirit armchair politics will be gathering for the first time since uh, early last year, um, we're, we're going to uh, get together in person on July 7th on my deck because I know Henry's been vaccinated, I've been vaccinated, Paul's been vaccinated, and uh, Jan Worth Nelson, who said she would be joining us, has also been vaccinated. So we're going to have our first roundtable in person in well over a year. And we can have fun with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and well, uh, our critics will say, I just hope none of them leave their life. <laughs> I can see this right now. Well, I'm, <laughs> but we'll I'm, have fun. <laughs> I, I'm going to fire up the grill so we won't just be uh, grilling the news. We'll, we'll, we'll grill some food, too. Yeah, that will be great. It's worth it. Um, let's see. Do I want to move on to... Yeah, let's go ahead. I maybe can squeeze this in before the break. Flint First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, whose federal lawsuit against Mayor Sheldon Neely and others inside City Hall was dismissed two months ago, has been ordered to reimburse the city almost $35,000 in legal fees related to the same case. U.S. District Court Judge Bernard Friedman granted the city's request for its expenses defending against the lawsuit, which city attorneys argued was frivolous, unreasonable, lacking in foundation, and brought in bad faith. In March, Friedman ruled the councilman's claims were plainly barred by legislative immunity in federal court and found that the council was justified in removing him from four meetings because Mays was being argumentative and disruptive. Should Eric have to reimburse the city for their legal expenses? That awaits a jury to decide that, but people in overtime get saturated and tired of these frivolous issues, and it works against the person, just like what we're going to see at the national scene here very quickly. I think Eric's going to have to pawn a whole carload of computers to pay for that. If he ever goes I, that you long. know, Paul, I thought I was going to be the one to, to make that <laughs> to make that reference. And for Mark, this is the same city councilman who um, yeah. took a city-issued laptop computer <laughs> and pawned it at a pawn shop across the street from City Hall. And you see how that stuff comes back again and again and <laughs> bubble up on the table and works against you over time. It does. Well, we have some, some other interesting things in the, uh, in the headlines from local, state, national news and current events that we'll get to, but we have to take a short break here and let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, but we'll return with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson right after this.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. 
a magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, are joined uh, today by Mark Everson. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, The uh, Flint Police Chief says he needs at least 30 detectives to handle criminal investigations in the city, about twice as many as he has now. Chief Terrence Green made the comment during a city council budget hearing this week, setting the stage for a potential change in the budget proposed by Mayor Sheldon Neely for the new fiscal year that begins July 1st. Um, without going into all the budget details, I'll skip over that. Um, but uh, the budget was uh, developed before Flint was awarded $94.7 million as part of the American Recovery Plan signed into law by President Joe Biden earlier this year. Would the addition of... of uh, uh, or bringing the, the ranks of detectives up to uh, 30 for the Flint Police Department help reduce crime in the city of Flint? I would think so. I mean, I, made, I think I made the wisecrack a while back when people talk about defunding police, that Flint's been doing that for years compared to other <laughs> communities. We've got, we've got so few, relatively few police compared to similar-sized cities. Well, yeah, Lansing has uh, a similar population and twice the police That's force right. we have. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think uh, what Sheldon, if he's asking for uh, 30 additional bodies to aid policing, I think we should give it to him. I think Flint, first of all, has demonstrated that his policemen are less likely to uh, turn a confrontation into a violent act. As we can see, we haven't had the incidents yet. If that <clears throat> helps to protect violent acts and confrontations from this, we should do that because we don't need our city uh, to have the same kind of, uh, of fluff that they have in other cities where people are hurt or killed or where police are uh, completely uh, defunded or misrepresented stuff like that we need our police and uh but we need to make sure that they are operating with all the tools and resources they need to um to carry out police orders without with the least amount of violence if i could jump yeah go ahead ahead. i was going to jump in here about knowing the particulars of flint uh i was reading a story on uh st louis just in the last day or two and it, it to this point, it's that there's been an increase over the years of the number of, of cases, homicides, particularly, that don't ever get cleared. And that erodes faith in law enforcement if, if crimes aren't solved. And yeah. uh, it's, it's important that that be done. Uh, you know, I, I remember my sister was a victim of a serial murder years ago in, in Houston in 1982, and it was terrible. And, and uh, there are different stages of this, but one is for sure not knowing who did a crime or are they going to be held accountable at all so on and so forth and it just is terrible if we don't if we don't uh, clear cases that's so i i think it's generally you need to be properly manned that's what that's what i would say 
Yeah, Flint has had quite a spike in crime in the last last four or five months, the beginning of this year, compared to last year especially. And we've been lucky that we haven't had one of those incidents like uh, the Floyd incident in Minneapolis and so forth. So I say with my fingers crossed that we've been relatively lucky in not, not having those kind of things here in Flint so far. And, and this is a phenomenon that has occurred over 20 or 30 years. Remember oh, yeah. the last time, the last person that we had a conversation was with was a woman that shot another policeman. But since that time, we have had minimal incidents of this kind of behavior in Flint. You're talking and about police overreach and, and yeah, police overreach and yeah. and and suggesting um, and I think yeah. rightly so, Henry, that adding detectives is is not going to increase the res the the risk of having a police involved shooting like we've seen. Yeah. Um, but uh, Paul, you're right, and and it's it's been going on for many years, and Flint has had a reputation for being especially violent in. Um, in fact, so much so that the New York Times once uh, referred to Flint in a banner headline as uh, the murder capital. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But we we do need to to uh, we need to incarcerate people who deserve to be incarcerated, no matter what color or gender they are, because they are a threat to the overall safety of the people and that's who are that's who we should tender interest we should tender you know the the, the bottom line though is it's, it's nice to say we need 30 more detectives but the the bottom line is do we have the money for it i mean we're getting some of this covid money for a temporary boost but in the long run the real problem since god is just the lack of revenue and lack of a tax base for for not only detectives but have a lot of other services as well are are facing similar kind of pressures. Well, but they, we have to go out and find the money. The, we have to. The story, um, which was uh, reported by uh, M Live, the Flint Journal, um, sort of hints that the the administration uh, at City Hall is thinking, even even if it's short term. We should do this just to bring the numbers down, just to close those cases, as Mark uh, mm-hmm. said yeah. uh, or, or uh, talked about the importance of. Um, sure. But on a, on a uh, let me jump in there. Tom. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Mark. That's, that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Nobody worth his or her salt is going to be a detective someplace if they don't think that the city is serious about. Uh, giving them a career. You're, that's when you will get the wrong people to come in who are not suited to be doing the job. So I, I, I don't like that approach at all. Well, unfortunately, it's the approach that the city of Flint takes often because they, they get money and they start programs and then the money runs out and the program dies. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, that happens time and time again. We're yeah. going to see it. We're going to see it possibly with this program. Um, we've seen it, uh, and I think we're going to see it some more with uh, blight initiatives. And it, it's unfortunately the reality of cities like Flint in uh, what has been referred to as the Rust Belt. Yeah, we're all getting this, the boost of this COVID money now, but I mean, presumably it's going to be gone relatively soon. And where do we go then? But, you know, uh, we got to continuously fight for the money. 
We've got to search for the money. We've got to make it happen. Otherwise, the quality of life will not be valuable in the city of Flint and jobs and well, and people won't want to live here. And We've to, got to create something different, something To Mark's new. point, I think, um, you know, bringing the, if, if it does have an impact on closing cases, if it does have an impact on crime overall, that may open up some doors and windows for other development and, and potentially other funding. Yes. So, you yeah. know, maybe... maybe uh, Maybe they'll be able to prime the pump enough to to, to get the motor running. Um, a resolu- uh, We talked about this, uh, I think, last week, if not the week before. And I don't know if the uh, county board of commissioners was listening to the show or what, but we talked about we thought there would be pushback if this went through. A resolution to declare May as Police Appreciation Month and to fly a thin blue line flag over county buildings has been knocked off track. Sent to committee for further study by the Genesee County Board of Commissioners. The board voted 5-4 to to take the action on Wednesday after dozens of residents spoke in both support and opposition to the measure with many saying the flag has become divisive and been adopted as a symbol of white supremacy. Um, Is it possible possible to find a universally acceptable way to show appreciation for hardworking uh, police? I think you have to find that because policemen will always be part of our daily lives, but uh, but they have to help solve a problem first. People have to begin to believe in them, and again, as though they were uh, like the policemen that were viewed in the old days. They didn't shoot people in the back. They didn't things like that. That is that is given police a, a very very hard. What? You, you know what happens is when, when symbols get picked up by by maybe the most disreputable people, you ruin the symbol. I mean, there was once a time when the swastika was considered a sign of good luck. You can find yes. postcards of the early 20th century where you'd send somebody a birthday card or Easter greeting and it had a swastika on it. And obviously the meaning of that changed by the middle of the 20th century. And so and unfortunately the same thing is true with the fl- that, that, that flag symbol. With the police is that some of the folks who've used it have been, you know, white supremacists and all the rest. Maybe not all of them who've waved it were that were of that variety, but unfortunately, it it it, it poisons the symbol. But is there a way to um, to recognize um, the positive aspects of uh, police and policing and public safety in a way that that wouldn't divide people? in some way like those symbols tend to do? We've got to find a way to do that. I think there have been some award programs where where individual officers were were honored when they did the right thing, when they didn't shoot somebody Uh and, you know, solved the problem in a more humane way. I mean, I can recall seeing news coverage of, of things like that where, in, in a very genuine sense, the, the the cop in the corner did the right thing, and and I say dealt with some tough issue without pulling out a pistol. I don't think yeah. you're going to find that um, that unifying symbol, Tom. I think that 
events will come along. I remember, you know, yeah. I was in Washington in 9-11, and 9-11, all of a sudden, cops and firemen became heroes again. They weren't quite in the same disrepute that, that is the case now, but they there was a lot of skepticism towards law enforcement that had developed. And then overnight, because of the heroic nature, uh, you know, they came back into being very well esteemed. And I, I think, unfortunately, you'll have some terrible incident where where you'll see the sacrifice of police. And uh, and that'll, that, that happens and that changes people's perspective. Uh, uh, that's what has to happen here, I think, is you have to see that side, again, of law enforcement, firefighting, public servants that right now they're in held in bad odor yeah i remember the the positive pr boost that uh tolbert got when he was uh flint's police chief for having participated in in some neighborhood gatherings playing basketball with young kids dancing Mm -hmm. with them remember you know he was he was considered like he was doing community policing almost by himself well i'll mention a good example here locally sheriff which is sheriff swanson with the uh, the black lives matter marches of last summer has decided to walk with them uh during one of the demonstrations and the, the again the pr for that for from for, for him was was very very positive well here's another one uh where um I think the county board didn't listen to our show last time. <laughs> the The county is on the verge of taking a much deeper dive into the Genesee Health Plan's performance in administering a uh, countywide property tax that pays for medical care for the uninsured working poor. And I do want to mention Genesee Health Plan is a sponsor of uh, of our show. The County Board of Commissioners is expected to consider a contract with Plant Moran to carry out an evaluation of Genesee Health Plan during a committee meeting uh, today. Last month, commissioners agreed to prepare a request for proposals from organizations interested in administering the program after failing to reach an agreement on an updated contract with GHP. Even though the two sides now have reached an agreement on the updated contract, County Board Chairman Mark Young said the commissioners still intend to issue the request for proposals after the review by Plant Moran is complete. He says it's uh, so they can determine what precisely is being offered by Genesee Health Plan at this time and whether it is in compliance with its contract to administer the program. And uh, Young uh, made those comments on Monday to uh, MLive, the Flint Journal. Is this about mission or margin? Or put another way, is the board really interested in the quality of service or getting their hands on managing those millage dollars? Mm. There aren't that many dollars, though, involved. So I don't think it's that. <clears throat> you know, I don't remember what the millage was, but I was one of the people that was originally appointed to that board. So uh, I think it has to be the opposite, just the, the, the opposing argument that you presented. Yeah, I'm looking here on my desk to try and find the exact amount of the millage, and I can't don't have it in front of me right now. Something but, is telling uh, me it raises something like nine million dollars a year. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. something like yeah. that. But that's not a lot of money for the population. 
Well, it isn't for the whole population, though, Henry. It, I know. I it, know. It but really is designed, and and it's a a very unusual program, and not a lot of communities have it. Um, it's it's simply its own it's its own health insurance provider um, for people who fall through the cracks. Yeah, yes. we got some good friends who were able to benefit from that. So it's uh, and I'm, it's for the right little bit cause. About it. To your point, uh, Tom, it's for the right cause. I supported that. And, and what happened is the the county is now struggling for money, yeah. and they tried to pass off their constitutionally mandated health care coverage for jail inmates to the Genesee Health Plan, which couldn't afford to absorb them under the current dollars and, and budget restraints they have. And the, the county board was trying to get so that if they could, if they could move those inmates onto the Genesee Health Plan program, <laughs> they could yeah. save those dollars in the right. general fund and ultimately um, chip away at, at balancing their own budget. But the the millage never was never levied for that purpose. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, that, that makes sense. And, and now I'm, I'm recalling why... They wanted that money. They didn't want to. They didn't want to pick up the cost of the health care package for the inmates. And so, uh, and they pass it off to that. Yeah, I think that that way that seems to make sense. You know, you got to balance the budget, no matter how it, and no matter who gets hurt. You got to balance this budget. So it does make sense that they would go after the the money to balance the budget, and rightfully so. I think they run the risk of breaking something that isn't broken, that, that's working well. Yeah, as I say, the, the, the limited experience I've had from a few friends that I know who used it, they, they've been satisfied. So, it, uh, As far as I know, I've heard some pretty good things about it. Yes, yes. There's some good things about the HAP. People talk about it, and I don't know how we would get, uh, get by without it meeting the needs of the people that it serves. Well, it's, that's one I'm, I'm going to be following for sure. I'm, I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the weeks and months to come. Uh, a, uh, let's move on to Lansing. A nonprofit corporation paid most of the $27,500 cost of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's contentious private plane trip to visit her father, uh, her office said Friday, Whitmer used her personal funds to pay the $855 cost of her seat, according to a report Whitmer's office released. That was calculated as the comparable uh, cost of a first-class ticket, according to uh, comments made to the Free Press uh, by spokeswoman Tiffany Brown. Friday's disclosures followed weeks of criticism of Whitmer for refusing to say when she left the state to visit her father, Richard Whitmer, during the coronavirus pandemic at a time Michigan residents were being cautioned about travel. 
The disclosures also follow a Thursday report in the Free Press in which Democratic and Republican communications experts who have worked for public officials were critical of how the governor's office handled the story, saying the lack of transparency extended a one-day story into one that continued for weeks. Are Republicans going to continue to use this against the governor in the uh, next election? Oh, I imagine. I'm going to tell you But again, I think that they're right that the, the, the rollout of this story was just so clumsy that if she had come out and just said a one-day story, here's what we did, and here's who's paying for it, it would have been a one-day sh- shot. Yes. But by dribbling it out, it made it this very long, drawn-out, uh, and far more painful story for her. I agree with you, Paul. Yeah. Well, and the more that uh, that the free press had to uncover, um, it it made it seem like like a much more uh, uh, egregious, scandalous story than it, it was. Did, yeah. You know, this was a private plane owned by a corporation. Um, that does business with the state, and you know, it was a matter of convenience. You know, they were flying. And, to and again, this this could have been a very humane story. She's going to visit her real father in Florida and taking care of him, I gather, in some way or another. So, I mean, it's it's not like she was going out partying or anything like that. So, it, the potential was it could have been a fairly positive story if it was played right. But yeah, and and by by staying quiet about it, I mean, here she is uh, holding statewide press conferences, telling. Uh, uh, especially college kids, don't go to Florida for spring <laughs> exactly. break. And then she exactly. jumps on a plane and flies to Florida and doesn't tell yeah. anybody about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I understand why she'd want to be private about that if it's a sick yeah. uh, parent. But, but they made a calculated decision to accept the financial benefit from another party. That's not something that they sort of say, yeah. Whoop, whoops, and realized... Uh, later that it had happened so they knew they were running a, a yellow light there or a red light or whatever it was and as soon as it became an issue she should have uh, made a clean breast of it and moved on but that's because it, it don't, no, these things don't go away they just keep poking at them <laughs> yeah they do well it's um you know I, I don't think people would have had problems with it if if she just came out and said hey look i there was a company that had a seat on a plane, and I needed to go visit my dad for a couple of days. Um, in fact, uh, they, they said the whole round trip was two days or less. And but, right. but, guys, that is a very risky thing. You're the highest beacon in the state here. Everybody's looking at you. Everybody's shooting at you. And <clears throat> though there are certain things that you cannot do. Because you violate the public trust, you know, not only for Democrats but for Republicans and, and all of that stuff. Why would you want to do that? And and I think by by most accounts, um, she's only left the state twice. Uh, once was to visit the Michigan National Guard, who were you know getting fed bad food in Washington, oh, yeah. D.C. back right. in January, and the other was to visit her sick dad. <laughs> and, and, and now, all of a sudden, her travel has become a scandal. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, anyway. But the $800 wasn't worth that. The ride. Right. Well, we've got to take but, a break here. But she here. could have done that. If she had just taken a ticket 
taking a plane, a regular plane there, uh, no problem. But there are maybe, two, maybe. There are two issues. There are two Henry, issues. I got, I I got to stop you there okay. um, because we have to take a short break. But uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well, and we'll pick it up there when we return. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. 
If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, are joined by Mark Everson. And uh, a state prosecutor handling cases related to an alleged plot against Governor Gretchen Whitmer has been pulled off the cases because of alleged wrongdoing in an unrelated case. A spokeswoman for Attorney General Dana Nessel said Friday, Assistant Attorney General Greg Townsend was reassigned from his docket while the Department of Attorney General performs a comprehensive audit of his work. Spokeswoman uh, Lindsay uh, McCommell told the Free Press. McCommell declined further comment. How does this affect the case against these alleged conspirators? Hmm. I, I don't know what he was doing exactly, but I think it's you, this is one of the cases you'll get. It'll get so much publicity that you've got to have clean hands. So, if this individual had some other problems that raised ethical issues or other kind of issues, it's probably wiser that he's not there because it will become. It, it certainly could become a, a hot button political issue. I agree. So, but again, well, I, I'm not sure exactly what he did. I, I'm not sure what his role was in in the prosecution exactly. We don't have enough information. Was it unrela- unrelated or not? If it's unrelated, then it just slows down the prosecution. That's all. Yeah. That's but if true. it's re- if it's re- if it's related, it'll it'll be bad news for the prosecutors. Yeah, and and I think uh, we don't have enough information to really give any points that uh, would make any sense because we just have no way to anchor to that situation. Yeah, that's that's probably true, Henry. Um, Michigan Republican lawmakers took additional steps Thursday to ban the government from mandating COVID-19 vaccinations despite having no indication that any state or local agency is pursuing such a requirement. The House Oversight Committee approved an overhauled version of a measure prohibiting a governmental entity from producing or distributing a vaccine passport. The measure also disallows a governmental entity from fining someone for not getting a COVID-19 vaccine. The passport concept garnered substantial discussion last week during a hearing that devolved into conspiracies about the pandemic and vaccines in general. Moments after the House committee voted 6-3 to three to approve the bill, the full Senate voted 20-15 to 15 to change a proposed budget for the Department of Health and Human Services to add language that would ban public funding for vaccine passports. What's the best way to encourage full vaccination? Hmm. Well, you know, some states have tried, rather than, than, than finding people, they've given rewards. I think it's in Ohio giving a, a lottery where you can win a million dollars if you, you 
get your vaccine and potentially and other other places are are paying people uh, some companies are paying people with a couple of hours worth of of, of work uh, if you get your vaccine and I think some sports teams were giving out free tickets if you showed up and got a vaccine whether those you know, are uh, working you, I don't know if you go back to uh, the 1950s when the salt vaccine became available. Not everybody gravitated to that. Um, and uh, it wasn't until over time that they fused in the fact that it was worthwhile getting that. People don't, people don't react that quickly. And so it was, it's not something that can be instantaneously done. Not in, in the United States because we have a free and democratic society. Anywhere else you can do it, you can go to Germany, I, I mean, you can go to China or Russia and you can get it done in any fascist country, but you can't get it done here in the United States. Well, I think, you know, when you bring up the uh, the polio vaccine, Henry, I think uh, putting it in sugar cubes certainly helped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that did. Yeah. And and uh, I think that there are other ways that it was done. Uh, was it also done in capsules, capsules as well? Well, the earlier version was a shot. I mean, I recall as a young yeah. kid getting the getting the I, I took shots. A, was a, I took the shot. And, and my parents were so mm-hmm. glad to see that that vaccine out there. And and I don't I don't recall. I mean, I was again I was a young kid at the time, but I don't recall any partisan division over the over that the polio vaccine, whether it was the shot mm-hmm. or the sugar cube later. Well, I think I told a story last week uh, of uh, Jeff Sherman, who um, his uh, his dad was one of the Sherman brothers that wrote all the songs for uh, Walt Disney. Oh, yeah. And um, they were working, his dad and his uncle uh, were working on the music for Mary Poppins when a young Jeff comes home from school and says he got vaccinated, and his dad says, well... Didn't didn't the shot bother you? And he goes, No, they gave it to me in a sugar cube, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it literally birthed the song, yeah. a spoonful oh, yeah. of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do think there's sort of like three groups of people on on this who haven't been vaccinated. One is people who are uh, genuinely fearful, and um, that's a, that's a real group. And then there's now a sort of a subgroup in that of people who uh, it seems that the vaccination doesn't work for people who are immunocompromised, uh, as I understand it, to a certain degree, or it's a much lower take-up rate. And then there are the people who are sort of hard over politically against it for uh, a variety of reasons. And then the third group is people who are just sort of haven't quite gotten to it, and they're, oh, they're not really sure, but they're not they're not skeptics or politically against it. And I think to, to the point for that group, yes, incentives uh, makes a difference. And the key there is the more of that group that gets vaccinated and uh, where there aren't uh, problems, uh, the better it'll, better it'll be over, over time. So I think the incentives are fine. And I'm very struck uh, yesterday. I saw a message on social media from the principal of the school that my son was in, not this year, but last year, and she's, that's fifth and sixth grade, and she was reminding people that tomorrow, uh, this week, Friday, 
they're going to have the free vaccination for the, there's a certain vaccination that's required for kids before they can get in the seventh grade, required. And uh, this is a conversation that's headed our way as to whether we're going to require this vaccination for kids or uh, in the school. So, uh, you know, Michigan may be a little clumsy what's going on right now and a little heated, but it is, it's a conversation that we're going to be having everywhere. The, the school districts were also the gateway to uh, <clears throat> making sure that kids got in the classroom. You had to be vaccinated against uh, polio in the 60s. Are they didn't like going to school. I was going to say, maybe, Henry, you can answer this. I mean, are, aren't a number of vaccinations required for, for nearly all students to go to school? Yes. These yes. days, yeah. Yep. I mean, above and beyond the, the, the COVID vaccine, yes. but uh, that's been standard procedure for some time. Yes. So, but there, then there are people who are religious, and that's yeah. Okay, that's I, I, mean, I, I know there are here there are exceptions <laughs> for one kind or another. Yeah. Yeah. Well, President Biden was in uh, Michigan this week, and. Uh, it, it seems like his trip here got a little bit overshadowed by what's going on in uh, between uh, Israel and, and Palestine. Did you have that impression, Paul? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I saw fairly minimal coverage of his trip here. I saw him drive that electric truck around the track, I think, and that's about it. But, yeah, it seemed like the Israeli-Palestinian stuff uh, was much more dominant in the news this time around. Well, and particularly, wasn't there a he didn't? I think Biden got a question from one reporter on the Israeli-Palestine situation, and he basically kind of blew her off and refused to answer and just wanted to talk about electric trucks. And he, <laughs> he and it it I don't know if it backfired up on him or not, but he he tried to joke that he was going to run her down with this electric yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, but but my yeah. impression of Joe Biden in Michigan on that. Uh, Version. I thought he did pretty good. I, I really, I thought he was. Yeah, I think he handled the trip right, but I think news. And people talk about him being feeble and aloof and stuff like that. But as a critic of his, I look at him with uh, some degree of hopefully getting it right and, and less political. But I thought he represented the White House very well. Well, I think well, he kind of up that, that riding with Biden image that he used for the campaign when he drove the truck around up the test track. Well, and he was yeah. trying to use a trip to, uh, you know, that particular auto plant that's that's making electric vehicles as a, um, a place where he could uh, further promote his uh, clean energy yeah. agenda. Yeah. Well, we've got more stuff coming up. We've got about a, a minute here before we uh, go to break at the top of the hour, as as we do, and then get into the second half of uh, Armchair Politics, our weekly so, roundtable. Go ahead, Mark. Can I say one thing, then? Yeah. Yeah, I, just to Henry's point, I do think it's entirely correct that uh, the president has been much more vigorous than many would have said. I I had a conversation with, with uh, someone who was a former governor, former congressman, before the inauguration of a Republican, and he said he was of the opinion that Kamala Harris would be vice president shortly after Easter, I mean, be president shortly after Easter, that 
You know, you know that, and, and there were people who really believed that. And, I heard uh, those stories. That's right. Yeah. 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 And uh, he, you know, he seems to be fully in charge and pretty, pretty vigorous. And in, in many have written, in fact, that he's a little more disciplined than he normally has been in terms of just sort of running his uh, mouth and state of consciousness. Yeah. So, uh, so I think he's in there to stay at least for now. Yeah. And the reason I said that, so and no dis, no disappointment with the Republicans. But you gotta know the person that we're we're arguing for or against. And you gotta and with the country being in we're the got, situation that it is I gotta cut you off there, Henry. We'll be back with the second half right after this. I'm listening to Tom Sumner.